Hello, everyone, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast focusing on tips and tricks you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me from the left our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen. Allen West now. That's true, Allen West now. I got married. And from the right, our evil podcast host, uh, who, as far as I know, hasn't changed his name, uh, Ben Jurek. Hello again, listeners. <laughs> and welcome back to the podcast, Ben. It's been a while. It has been a little bit of a while. Everyone's kind of in upheaval here, both because of the new edition and because of everything else that's happening. Yep. So I would uh, I would agree. So how has the new edition treated you guys so far? I know none of us have like an immense number of games with it, but uh, what's what's your feeling, Ben? We haven't really heard from you on the subject yet, so I'm curious. There's excitement and apprehension. Um, the excitement is the the core rulebook reads really well. Um, yeah. The the comparison I've been making is they took the previous edition uh, and they made it lactose intolerant. They found anything that was cheesy or unfair and they removed it um, mm-hmm. and in thoughtful, meaningful ways, not just mm-hmm. patches, not just like patches or band-aids. They, they literally, they, they thought really hard about um, the rules they wrote out in this book. Uh, there might be some editing issues or stuff they might need to fix in the future. But as far as like the core of what they're trying to do, like the, the intent uh, was basically removing all the cheese from the previous edition because 8th edition was really good. It, there's just some cheese in it. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm mm-hmm. apprehensive uh, with where balance is right now. Um, just kind of like a first impression of like reading over, you know, points of cost of models and where current rules are at for certain units and such, um, removing specialist attachments and things like that has me pretty apprehensive, especially for my, my favorite orcs over here. Like they, they lost a lot, um, in this, uh, addition move. So it's, that's where my apprehension would lie. Yeah, I think that's fair. The start of an addition is always kind of a rough place balance wise, because even though ninth is very similar to eighth, there's always things that don't translate directly. And so some stuff goes way up in value and some stuff goes way down and they, it doesn't feel like they spent a lot of time taking that into account with like the points changes and whatnot. Um, So it's going to be, it's going to be a little rocky at the start here, but I have a good feeling about it overall. Once again, the core is great. Um, any of this other yeah. stuff can be decided in a chapter approved or, you know, small, a small supplement or even just a codex release can kind of bring any of these things from, you know, from dire to, uh, you know, stellar. So I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not too concerned there, um, with what can and can't be done. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty excited about ninth. I like, I like most, I like the majority of the changes and the new things, a new phase, new mm-hmm. terrain. Uh-huh. Shailene, you and I have gotten some games in, so you have a little bit more of a, a hard basis to speak on at this point. What's your feeling? So um, my very first observation on ninth was I need to learn the terrain rules because my very first game, they basically worked against me and nothing else. That was pretty yeah. crushing. 
that's going to be our topic this week, actually. Uh, that's maybe a, a good place to transition into the main section of the episode here. The terrain rules in Ninth are really different from the ones in Eighth, namely in that there are any rules for terrain. I was going to say that they exist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, well, Eighth the one the one that I rule and in quotation marks here was the ITC suggested altering of the first floor ruins, which I'm used to and I need to untrain myself. So that's, that's yes, because it, it ruins don't work like that in any way at all anymore. No. Um, so why don't we, why don't we talk a little bit about sort of the, the general terrain rules and then get into some of the more specifics on like how different pieces tend to function. Um, so the, the new system they have is very interesting in that there's basically a selection of keywords that you, you pick from and can kind of just apply them to different terrain types. And each of the keywords has its own effect. Um, and there's also sort of four broad terrain types that are supposed to cover everything, either hills, obstacles, area terrain, or buildings, which no one will ever use because they're not really a very good concept, but GW can't let go of them. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really just sort of, are you a thing that gets in the way and but has no base, or a thing that has a base, either real or imaginary, and provides effects to any units that are inside it. Um, and that's really all it comes down to. It's actually, in many ways, fairly simple at the kind of outset. Yeah. And it's simple in the fact that there's definitions, uh, and those definitions must be applied yeah. to those things. It gets difficult when you're trying to decide how to apply it. It can, uh, although they, they have a suggested set of, like, these terrain pieces have these keywords kind of things. I mean, they don't say that, you know, you can only use them this way, but they do make a, a fairly strong suggestion. Absolutely. Yes, and I think that's actually to the credit of Games Workshop here because the it basically gets people playing faster. It's like, okay, here's the rules for all the usual the suspects you'll see on the table. Yeah, um, especially stuff like ruins. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, w- everyone knows what a ruin does and what GW wants a ruin to do um, if they spell it out. And and that's, I think, also to their credit where they said, like, here's how our basic terrain rules function. You can change them, but this is what we're sort of setting things at. Yeah, I promise you the moment one of the uh, game aid companies makes their markers for terrain, uh, like a little marker for defensible, a little marker for breachable, oh, yeah. I will I will employ those heavily. There are already some 3D printing companies making uh, little add-on things there, and I know Shaylin is working on a set of cards that uh, you can you know print out and just sort of set with each terrain piece. You'll be getting those back. Yes. Awesome. Um. So let's talk about some of these keywords a little bit and uh, the sort of the important things that they do. Um, some of them are really easy and obvious. Uh, light cover is just like what we've referred to as cover in the past. It's your plus one to armor save against shooting attacks. Um, the weird one is heavy cover, which is plus one to save against melee weapons. Um, Unless the model has made a charge move this turn. 
Yeah, but it's worded super weird. So I want to read through just the text on this one and see how both of you parse this. Uh, So Heavy Cover says, when an attack made with a melee weapon wounds a model that is receiving the benefit of cover from this terrain feature, add one of the saving throw against that attack, unless the model making the attack made a charge move this turn. So my reading of that is that if you have a unit in the heavy cover and some other unit charges into them, the unit that declared the charge does get the benefit of heavy cover, but the unit that was in the terrain does not. Is that is that how you two would parse that? Yeah, it seems like they're... So that's... It, it seems... It, it it got really wordy, and that, you know you don't want to do that with rules. So you want to yeah. keep it simple. Um, but it, it seems like the people doing the overrunning um, are the people gaining uh, the advantage. So, um, and I can see this playing out in a couple of decent ways, uh, especially if I'm like charging with like a three up save unit uh, mm-hmm. into a bunch of units that only have you know uh, a two up save, then my, my armor save is going to be comparable to theirs. Cause I'm like overrunning their position type of deal. Right. Um, but other, other people in articles have pointed out that, um, well, that, you know, the strategy to that then is just not leave them room to charge into your cover. Just, you know, sit at, sit at the edge of the cover and make it so their unit can't get in the cover. Um, right. it, and it's, it says models, correct? Not. Yeah. Uh, yes. So you can, you can get some models in and the other models don't. And that'll get a little bit weird because you're like, okay, these three models have, that are in combat have heavy cover while these other ones don't. And, um, and it gets really weird when you're both in cover and you charge. Uh, like if you start, like if you're on like a big piece of cover and you, and you charge them, it, it's a, it's a little wordy. It's probably the wordiest of these, uh. Yeah, it was definitely the one that I felt was, the most counterintuitive. This is the one that deserves designer's commentary is my, is would be my comment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here's where I am because there's the, like all ninth edition rules. It has the two little bullet points beneath it. The bullet point says plus one to saving throws against melee weapons, unless the model has made a charge move this turn. Yeah. I feel like their intention was to have the models that charged, not benefit from it because that's what the bullet point implies um but of course the bullet point is not the actual rule it's just a summary of the rule um i think they worded it wrong i think they got it backwards and we may see an faq on this uh but we can set that aside it is going to be a uh, a problem for future us who are wiser and richer and more experienced um so let's talk about some of these other ones that are are going to be really big. Uh, obscuring. This is this is the game changer for me. Yeah, it's probably the most. Uh, well, it's not even the most controversial. It's probably the most game fixing, non house rule needing. We can use any train we want, mm-hmm. um, even if it's full of holes, uh, and still have it provide meaningful effects. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. Any piece of obscuring terrain that is at least five inches tall, which I think that one is going to catch a few people, um, but typically that terrain is going to be at least five inches tall or else it you know, doesn't really do anything, um, will block line of sight through it, though not into or out of it. Um, 
And that last part, I think, is the one that is going to really weird people out who are used to playing ITC Ruins. Because with ITC Ruins, your whole thing was you stood one inch directly behind the wall, and no one could see you through that first floor, and you were invulnerable as long as you stayed inside your box. And this is actually the opposite of this. As long as you're inside the box, people can see you. But if you're behind the box, then you're invulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah, there's there's going to be some interesting play there and some people making some oopsies for sure, at least in the first couple of months. Um, <laughs> I know I know for sure there's going to be some people where you're going to have like a group of eradicators in the building and, you know, they're – they're gonna. Well, I shouldn't say building because buildings is nothing. You have a group of right. eradicators in some ter- in in a in some obscuring terrain, uh, and they're gonna shoot out and then get shot at. And the guys are gonna go, well, no, you can't shoot me. I'm behind this fight. Well, no, you're inside of it. Sorry. You. Yep. Um, <laughs> and also of note, if you once you touch the terrain, you basically get to ignore its effects. Uh, which does really push people towards more aggressive, like drive up and. You know, roll your tank right up onto that piece of obscuring terrain so you can shoot the guys on the other side of it kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't quite aware of that, actually. Yeah, so models that are on a piece of obscuring terrain may ignore that piece of obscuring terrain for purpose or the obscuring rule of it um, for line of sight. And likewise, you if you are shooting a unit that is on a piece of obscuring terrain, you you are not affected by the obscuring keyword. Um, so if you hide your infantry behind, say, an obscuring ruin, if the knight walks up to it and touches the edge of the ruin, he is allowed to look through it and see you again. Um, the um, tabletop tactics people have done some uh, some good videos on this with. Uh, the uh, the Tau faction one and the uh, Knights faction one both touch on this a number of times. Uh, if you want a kind of visual demonstration of how that affects play, that is a, a very good video to look at. Uh, but what it essentially boils down to is that once you touch the terrain, it kind of vanishes for you, uh, and you can see through it again. So that that is a pretty critical outfall of what the terrain rules say there. Um, what, what other, uh, keywords do you guys see as being really big? Dense cover. Dense is a big one too. Uh, Shay, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. For those familiar with the granite codex, it basically gives tide of shadows to people. Um, so, uh, it's big thing is that, uh, if it's at least three tall, three inches tall, uh, you subtract one from hit rolls targeting things that are shooting through it. Um, into it or through it. Uh, yeah. So you can, unlike obscuring, you benefit from it if you're standing inside it. Yes. Uh, the other addition is if someone is in there with you. So, for example, if right. both the opposing unit and you are both in the forest together, it doesn't affect them there. It's just like right. obscuring that way. Yep. Uh, much like obscuring, once you touch it, you turn off the effects of it. Uh, because you can shoot out from it at no penalty, but you cannot shoot into it unless you are also in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and dense is not an uncommon keyword. Uh, I want to say forests have it. Oh, just I as have a, some forests that I'm happy to actually do more than just you know be crappy craters now. Yeah. 
Um, and like that, that minus one to hit is not a joke. I mean, it, it can't stack up the way you could last edition, but, um, minus one to hit will really be a, a big game changer for armies like Tau or Imperial Guard or Orcs. The biggest uh, conversation I had about that is it makes you question taking those factions and chapter tactics that give negative one because you, we don't know what terrain's going to look like. If, if tons of boards true. have dense cover, that you can take advantage of with you know with that spearhead unit that you that you need it for, you don't really need to take that chapter tactic anymore if you can kind of plan around just using terrain to do the same thing. I did notice that it let me change out of tides because I would stay a lot in tide of shadows and now I can go into other tides. Yes, uh, it it also makes uh, abilities that provide um, you know cover if you're more than 12 inches away kind of stuff, or in the Grey Knight's case, it doesn't care about how far you are away. Hmm. Um, but it makes those actually more valuable than the minus one to hit version, which is nominally better, uh, because you can stack the minus one to hit from dense and also cover, uh, but you can't stack two minus ones. Yes. So combining those two bonuses is actually a pretty powerful defensive tilt. Or if oh. you have something like commandos where they get, you know, a bonus yeah. armor save when they're affected by cover, they're now, I don't even, you know, I can be just behind it and still be, be receiving the benefit of cover. So they receive that yeah. role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, tr- it triggers it more often than not at this point. Um, yeah. Um, another one that I think has maybe gone a little under people's radar, but is going to be pretty big, difficult ground. Um, I think hill or not hills, uh, craters and forests are both difficult ground by defaults. Yes. Um, difficult ground is, it's really simple. It's much better than the earlier iterations of this and old editions where you had to roll dice and it was just the worst. Um, it's just whenever you make a move, advance, fallback, uh, or charge or charge into or out of or through a difficult ground piece, uh, you subtract two from your movement. And units with fly get to avoid it. I thought this way was was the way eighth was supposed to be. Um, yeah. This is one of those oh they fixed it situations in my mind because I thought this yeah. should have been the way it was always. Yeah, before it was just charges, which felt very weird at times. Um, now it's two inches off everything. Um, but that is, like, two inches doesn't seem like a lot, but it's actually pretty big. Um, especially if you have a big block of units that is going to try and move through it and then also charge and still have some of their guys either stuck inside it or stuck moving through yeah, it. Was, that, that removes four inches of threat range, and four inches of threat range in this game is... It's a lot. Actually yeah. Very, yeah, it's, it's pretty insane to think about. And there's even... Um, you know, if you need to move through two sets of it, let's say you have, you know, a crater ruin crater situation. Um, you know, it's it's gonna suck. <laughs> it's, gonna, I think it is only two. I think it's only two, you only lose two inches no matter how many of them you are moving through. So if you're moving through two crater, through two different craters and a, a forest, you're still only at minus well, two I'm, inches. I'm saying an but, example where it affects both phases. So like if you oh, advance sure. one yes. and either charge into charge into another. Um, yeah. That's that's gonna suck. <laughs> it's it's so, rough and uh, also and you have. To, I was gonna oh, comment. Go ahead, it says to a minimum of zero, it can stop you moving. It absolutely can. Um, you know, you can fail that two that two inch charge off of uh, 
a a forest or whatever. Um, and in a, in, a, in a crater is going to be nuts. Like you have a four inch move model. It's half yeah. its move. And then yep. neg two for being, you can literally just, you can leave a group of Terminator. Well, Mega Nobs specifically because they're four inch move. Uh, yeah. you, can, you just leave a group of Mega Nobs just stuck in a crater endlessly. They literally can't move. Yeah, uh, ter- Terminators, Mega Knobs, any of these slower units um, are going to find difficult ground really punishing um, because it can just absolutely grind them to a halt. And with a unit like that, you really you can advance and get out of there, but you really don't want to be advancing your big expensive units in a way that stops them from being able to shoot or charge. Yeah. Uh, so the difficult ground is going to have a surprising level of effect that I think has not really percolated down to what most people are realizing at this point. Now, uh, does this, you know, my, my, my weird thing about craters was it always, was it still affected units that fly? I know the fly keyword. It doesn't. It's, it's, it's <laughs> not. Uh, it yeah. explicitly says that units that fly ignore the penalty. Yeah, that was that was the thing. Nice thing I was leading into was previously it was uh it did yeah. it was weird. Uh, yeah. Now we're in a spot. Well, I mean they both nerfed but buffed fly keyword because now it actually affects cover more than it did, uh, but it doesn't affect the shooting phase as much as it used to. Yeah. Um, right. Which so I think is better. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm in full agreement there, but it's. I'm happy to see jet bikes no longer slowed down by craters was my uh, finishing comment there. (laughs) Uh, There's one piece of terrain keyword I want to bring up, and it's mostly because we'll see it more, I feel. Oh, yeah? Is inspiring. Oh, yeah. The the actual positive one. Yes, it adds plus one to leadership if wholly within six inches. And Mm -hmm. what that's going to... The reason I feel that one's going to pop up is, A, they've made some really badass inspiring pieces you could stick on tables these days. Certainly. Um, but also, with the changes to the morale phase, plus one leadership is a thing you may consider putting on your table. Like, it actually right. has an effect on the game that's very interesting. So. Yeah. Uh, and there are a number of other kind of, like, little, like, niche keywords like that that you're going to see used as just ways to define things that would come up before, but we're not like super big. And now there's just a rule attached to them and it's much simpler. There's enough psychic powers out there that have a, that, you know, that count of leadership versus a leadership. And yep. that, that you using that little statue is going to be pretty goddamn cool. So yep. I, I, I like that fluff. I like, I like, I like using that. Um, my particular, uh, favorite keyword, um, that people should be, that should be whether have either be, designated whether you can or not uh, is scalable oh uh, yes yeah. uh, uh, that, that should be declared on all things because everyone's going to ask questions can, can i go on top of this can i go on top of that hold on <laughs> it's either it's either scalable or it's not and then you know there it's going to be a long conversation with some folks and uh at least in my parts yeah so let's actually take that into our next little section which is how we see this getting played at tournaments. Uh, because the rulebook obviously has its way of sort of defining how you play through a game and how you deal with all that. Um, but the the actual play experience when you're on the ground at a tournament can be a little bit different uh, in terms of 
who picks these keywords and who says which ones affect which terrain pieces and how is terrain actually laid out? Um, because here's one little thing that I think is also flown under the radar a lot. Objectives cannot be on a terrain piece. Um, it's, it's not legal for them to be placed on a terrain piece of any kind now. Um, so that means that with the various missions and the, the various deployments that go with them and everything, um, it's going to be necessary to be moving some of this terrain around, which the game tells you you should do. Like one of the steps is set up terrain. Uh, but most tournaments don't generally play that way is you, you, the players are not actually like moving the terrain around from game to game. That's generally kind of frowned on unless it like, it's very clear that things have been shuffled around by someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so do, do you, what are, what are you, your thoughts on how this is actually going to play out at tournaments? I'm going to see two different types. Uh, there's going to be the TO throws the train on the table and lets the players loose and kind of just does that, which is the way we've been doing it. And then you have the type that's more of the Boise Cup style, which is where you go to the table, the terrain is defined, there are keywords next to each piece of terrain, and there are no questions. Yeah, in my travels, I've seen the point A, point B, and the in the in the in between where the TO during the meeting goes, "Hey, here are these main pieces of terrain you're going to see. Here are what they're supposed to do, um, so there aren't any questions, uh, specifically things that there would be questions for." I think that actually makes their job a lot easier. Um, now there's actual yeah. words and terms and such like that. So I think you're going to see a lot more. Um, specifically in player meetings of, you know, what is what. I, I don't think you're going to see too many TOs put in the effort that the Boise Cup puts in that we that I personally enjoy. Um, but there there's going to be, it's going to be easier for TOs to define it. But I think you're going to still see plenty of RTTs and even some GTs, uh, maybe even LVO, who knows, um, that they're going to be like, okay, players define it. And I think that's going to become its own mental game uh, with your... Mm. Uh, with your opponent of deciding what's what, because there's stuff that's advantageous to you and stuff that's not advantageous to you that uh, you may or may not want to happen on the table. Right. Um, there's always a certain amount of negotiation involved in terrain of kind of saying, how do you want to treat this? What are we going to do for these things? Um, and this is where I feel that GW's example terrain types with their, their keywords and whatnot does help a lot. Um, and the keywords themselves are mostly fairly explanatory. Like, you're not going to have a lot of questions about what is going to be, say, scalable or exposed position. Like, it's usually fairly obvious. And there are some corner cases. But I feel like there's probably not going to be any, like, bitter arguments over whether a given piece is inspiring or not. Yeah, is it, but... Did is it fits it sits make it into this rule set? Uh, did not. Um, <laughs> that is that is dead and gone. For which I am more than thankful because it was weirdly punishing to a just like fairly small subset of units, um, and is also not really necessary anymore given the changes to you know engagement distance and a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. Um. But it makes some wacky situations, like the repulsors sitting on top of... 
yes, although um, that's one of those things where, like, you will still have the the core rule book. Like, if you can't balance a unit there, it doesn't go there. I know. Um, you know, that's just a rule straight up. <laughs> yeah, the, there's there's the always a guy leader. who is gonna try and <laughs> you know balance his repulsor on top of a spire, and you're like, dude, it doesn't go there. It's like, no, no, just it, as long as I weight it exactly right, and the Earth's magnetic fields don't shift too much, it fits. Um, but, you know, the, the guy who tries that is going to be the guy who tries a hundred other things during the game, too, so it's probably not going to come as any surprise. That player. Yeah. Um... So let's let's sort of uh, move this out to a a bit broader of a discussion. How do you think these terrain rules and the way the terrain rules sort of uh, affect everything else are going to influence the overall play of the edition? Uh, what what big takeaways do you see from the terrain? So for a first thing is they've reduced line uh, line of sight blocking a lot. Um, uh, comparison sorry, to what reduced, you think? Um, it's been reduced in in a way. I'm going to put an asterisk on this because okay, they've fair. they've given specific situations for it, and they've also undone some of it in certain ways. Like for example, big units. Most of the time, you can target them whether or not you can actually draw like proper line of sight to them just because of just the terrain rules. They can't. And- and by big units, you mean uh, stuff with 18 or more wounds, like knights and whatnot? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of rules that basically says, uh, if it's if it's that big, you can just target it. Don't worry yes, about it. Yes, they have a it. special exception built in. Um, so there's that, which is quite nice, because it's like, it protects the small mm-hmm. guys from getting shot by a super tuna, but it lets them throttle against it if need be. Um, so there's a bit of that. There's also, um, as I said, with like, there's ones that inhibit movement, so that's going to give defense to shooting armies against charges, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, there's little aside ones like inspiring, which can help with morale phases and stuff. As I said, I think that one's going to come up just a little bit more um, because it's tactically relevant to consider now as opposed to, oh, that's cute. Right. Um, defense line makes charging, you know like expands the area of fighting so you can get the two inch back orc throb on you. Do you want to charge orcs at a defense line? I don't know. You know, there's, there's a good bit of nuance. It's going to change. Uh, I think that they tried to make it so that every army could interact with it some way that's meaningful. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you get to explore a lot of little situations and build up a repertoire of understanding all the little, like, driving, kind of drifting through the terrain and what that's going to get you. Sure. I think it absolutely broadens the skill curve. Um, I think you're going to see a concentration of players who use terrain well do significantly better than players who don't use terrain well. Um, Whereas in previous editions, that wasn't quite the case. Um, And in combination with the missions and in combination with how um, objective markers are to be placed, uh, this is far more of a strategic thinking game than it was before, um, as far as of the games I've seen and played and theorized. 
the the thing you're going to see is the fact that you know as players a player cannot play another player simply on terrain and do significantly better just due to the benefits that they're reaping. Um, just you know, knowing knowing your stuff, read these rules, completely understand them. That's my number one piece of advice. Because other yes. than knowing the rules of your unit, knowing the terrain rules is probably one of the next biggest things to learn uh, and and have a expertise of. Because um, if you are an expert at terrain, I guarantee you, you can you can outplay your opponent who doesn't know it that well. Yeah. Uh, the the dense and obscuring traits especially we already brought up as big game changers i think those two are going to define a lot of this addition because they affect the way that shooting attacks which are traditionally the way most armies interact with each other um uh, have play in the game um they are so important to how armies are able to function with each other and how they affect the board that they really do uh, define things. Because, like, obscuring really makes it difficult. You can't draw a line of sight across the battlefield in most cases. Um, if you're in the back left corner, you won't be able to see the, the, far, the far right corner. Um in the majority of time, it's just you're not going to have these board-wide free zones of shooting in most cases. Yeah, in the um, in the casual world of things, um, the thing I like about this uh, that's friendlier to players and friendlier to armies is the fact that you don't have uh, modeling to advantage will be less of a big deal. You're not oh, have, yes. You're not going to have people trying to make certain things taller. You're not going to have people be like, oh, I can see the flag of that Ravager, so I can shoot it. It's like, no, it's still behind obscuring cover. There's a lot more ways to hide your things. Um, yes. You're, I don't, the, the type of terrain we saw developed in 8th that people were enjoying, uh, such as the giant elves and such, are no longer really necessary. Um, they, you can use different types of terrain now. You can use... Uh, any sort of, you know, as long as it's five inches or higher, to be able to hide that thing. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, you have these giant models like defilers and such that you you, you didn't really see a lot of play um, and couldn't take advantage of most cover because they're just too goddamn big of a model. Yeah. Um, now those models are actually incredibly good. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, one those, of those the are biggest... some really swingy changes. One of the biggest changes, I think, is for the, uh, we'll call them medium-sized models, um, stuff that is bigger than an infantry model but smaller than a Titan. Um, those models became almost infinitely easier to hide because, for example, Shay, you know, your Dread Knights could not hide behind most things in the game. It nope. just wasn't possible before. Now... It's not that hard at all to hide two or three dread knights. Nope. Uh, to your chagrin. Yeah, no, it's and it's a thing. Like you, you can't assume that you will be able to see the whole board anymore. That's just not a reasonable assumption. And uh, something I've noticed in my games, as well as watching games on stream with people, um, it's not reasonable to assume that your whole army will get to focus fire on a single target. Oh, yeah, absolutely, uh, that's absolutely just not. not something you can do anymore. Yeah, I kind of wish there was a suggested amount of terrain uh, situation because there actually is. Um, the the rule book 
suggests uh, each 12 by 12 section of board should have one medium to large size piece of terrain on it. Um, and they do give several photos in the rule book of a quote suggested board. Um, so that was true to a limited degree in previous to, editions, but in this one they're much more explicit about it. Yeah, there's because the the thing in previous editions was was especially in this last edition, I was always preached to of oh this is, this is meant for wild terrain, wild terrain. Well, we never we never really saw an official like yeah posting of like hey here's how much terrain your board should have and. You know, you and having traveled the country and played in you know dozens of RTTs, GTs, and majors, the it was soup to nuts. Um, like it was, it was crazy what the differences yeah. are. Uh, and I'm hoping to see some of that get get leveled out, where I can kind of have an expectation of I'll have X terrain. Now, what that terrain does, whether it's obscuring or not, is another story. Because I think some people are going to learn pretty quickly that they shouldn't have too much obscuring terrain on their table. Um, yeah. And then. But elsewise, you know, like, oh, what, what do you replace it with? Do you replace it with dense? Do you do it with that? And you're going to have some interesting uh, play there with what they do. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of intrigued to see where um, the experiment with doing preset boards goes. Uh, like we had yeah. with the top 100 of LVO and with what uh, Pro Tabletop Gaming was doing. Uh, I kind of want to see what their adaptation is, um, what mm-hmm. they think, or if they just kind of just go with what the rulebook says. Yeah, I think the terrain rules are more friendly to um, lower level tournaments. You're sort of uh, RTT level, like they're scraping together enough terrain to make eight tables, but only barely. Um, because, you know, that's not a small investment. Um, you're still looking at a few thousand dollars worth of terrain in many cases to make eight to 12 tables. Um, so making the terrain system more functional for tournaments that don't have LVO level resources or Nova level resources or a 20 year history of terrain that they've been building, uh, I think is going to be a big plus because ITC worked when you had the right terrain for it. If you had the appropriate ruins and whatnot and a good mix of other stuff, then it'd be like, oh, you see, this stops shooting armies from completely dominating. Um, the problem was when you just sort of had whatever terrain was laying around and you built a table out of it and there was one ruin and a bunch of forests and hills and then the the Tau player or the Yanari player would kind of just sit down and go, well, looks like I've already won. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm enjoying the fact that it's very new player friendly. It's very entry level friendly. Uh, it's pretty yes. easy to understand these things once the, once the keywords are defined. I'm a, as a long time magic player, um, and a person who works in a world of computers and such keywords and define and definitions are very very important to me um having having to define things outside and create asterisks and notes and faqs and and erratas that that just muddles things up having things be in one place and mean what they mean is pretty important in my book uh to to under having a a full understanding of the game you're playing um Mm -hmm. i'm excited to have players be able to build their first terrain out of a couple cereal boxes and a coke can um and have that terrain be meaningful uh, yes because <laughs> they just because they say you know just as they give it a couple key words so you know we're we're moving into a, a spot of 
um, the game becoming easier to play with what you ha- what you have at your disposal and not being like, well, you didn't have you know some seven inch L's in the center of the table, so you don't really have anything that could block line of sight from these models. So I guess get wrecked. Yeah, yeah. I think this is another example of. Um making the game more universal in the sense that more people are going to be playing the game the same way than have previously. Because before it was sort of like, well, if you don't have the right terrain, you're not playing the same game everyone else is playing. If you don't have magic boxes on your table, even if you're using the ITC rule set, you're not really playing ITC. Mm -hmm. Um, And this has changed that where you just like, well, as long as you're using the same keywords everyone else is using and you're using a a basic level of terrain, the rule book spells out and says, here's what you should have. Um, even if that terrain is handmade, even if that terrain is maybe kind of mediocre, even if that terrain is cereal boxes and Coke cans and whatever else you found laying around the house, um, you really are playing the same game that other people are playing. The other thing I was going to comment is uh, how I've usually seen forests done is they'll have a tree and then they'll have a piece of felt they have cut around to be the area of that forest. Because mechanically, trees are really hard to move models in and out of. Um, Yeah. And that means so much faster and cheaper to get a table going. Yep. A lot of these do enable sort of like shortcuts to having reasonable, useful terrain, which I think is great. I'm a fan of no longer having to explain to somebody the special side rules or, oh, we're playing ITC rules and getting the the random people that are just like, oh, I hate ITC rules. I should be able to shoot. It was like, no, we're all playing the same book now. We're all reading from the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think that will be a big plus for a lot of people. So how how does this affect... uh, your army building and consideration for the two of you. Are there any things you have sort of looked at in your army construction and you've said like, Oh, with these new terrain rules, I need to do X. I am, uh, I'm still learning what my army is doing in ninth in general. So, uh, that's fair. Uh, so there's a lot of, I, I don't know what this means yet. Um, there's like, Right now, one of my big decisions is, okay, do I hide the Dronite outside, not in the obscuring terrain, and not get that minus one, but just get the block, minus sight blocking and just can't on my opponent just not being able to see it. That's sort of a decision That's a consideration. I'm to see. Yeah. Uh, you're making a trade-off there of, like, either I am completely unshootable, but I don't get the minus one if you are able to see me, versus, you know, yeah, you can see me, but I'm getting the minus one. Uh, so it's it's kind of a risk-reward sort of situation. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of really cool play that's opened up. As you pointed out, Sean, my medium-sized units that I love dearly, my Drenites are suddenly much more interesting in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can field six of them and terrorize people. It's great. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, there's... Ben? There's some weird things going on with my main faction um, in ninth. I, they need to get figured out. Um, there's a lot of discussion of how to how to figure them out. Thankfully, um, so but the train matters. Uh, missions matter more to me. Uh, missions and mm-hmm. how and the in the way the command phase works and such matter more toward my building. But terrain is definitely a consideration. Um, I'm looking at specifically the commandos unit. Um, 
in orcs because their mm-hmm. point change their their point change wasn't terrible at all, uh, and they get a lot more benefits now. Um, there are ways here to trigger their their armor their uh, bonus armor save. Uh, they are a bit more interesting with that. They also get the plus two things, uh, plus one to wound against things that are in cover. So oh yeah, they <laughs> they have that special rule that for plus one to wound there. So that's now that more units will have a effects from cover, um, I get plus one to wound on those uh, guys more often. And since the Horde-type build um, in ninth is very difficult to do um, and a bit more sectioned out, I don't believe orcs are going to be doing it as much. I'm not going to say that I'm not going to play a non-Horde list. I'm just saying that it's going to be much harder. There are more attractive things to do. Um, mm. uh, the the buggy lists are actually attractive. Uh Buggies yeah, I was going to say, do you do you feel like orcs are uh, going to be inclined towards that kind of like light to medium vehicles lists? I've seen some people trying it out. Uh, specifically, buggies um, are where, it's, oh, yeah. are where 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 the hotness is. There, uh, our artillery um, has not has actually only gotten better. Other than the, other than the point hikes, their artillery is actually just good because mm-hmm. they can move without move and shoot without penalty now. They can shoot when they're being when they're in combat. Now, like there's there's not an excuse not to take mech guns anymore. Essentially, um, <laughs> <laughs> the specialist detachment, the loss of the loss of the super shock attack gun is, is it's a, sad. It breaks my heart. Um, I'm pretty sure plenty of other players are very happy. Well, <laughs> that thing was busted as heck. It there was no way it was gonna get to continue the way it was because it was just so good. Um, but that said, the do you do you still think the regular shock attack guns are still worth taking? I feel like they were okay, although I don't know what their price change was. Their, their price change is pretty crazy. So there, oh, yeah. Um, and with with HQ taxes being a thing, and orcs being a uh, and orcs being a heavy uh, HQ army, um, I doubt you'll see them unless they become really good again. Uh, I mean, people. Are, we're, we're even talking about a lot of us talking about not running weird boys anymore. Like there's. Oh there, wow. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, there's there's definitely a drive toward mechanization among the uh, among my orc crew. Um, we were talking about with Gaz's update to monsters being able to charge. Uh, oh yeah. If, if Squigos had not been legended. Uh, a Squigoth <laughs> army uh, would be interesting. Now, Gargantuan Squigoth, he can advance charge for the first time in his life, so that's actually... Yeah, that would be kind of exciting yeah. if you weren't, I don't, you know, <laughs> unusable. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that might be... I don't know. He carries 20 dudes, and transports are important in the, in, with the way the command phase and holding objectives works now. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I don't. I don't think he cuts it. I don't. I don't think that's there. I think that's more just a spitball idea. Um, right. But terrain. As they get back to the point, terrain matters a whole bunch um, for uh, just in consideration of building your army in general. Um, I think if somebody walks up to any list uh, and they need to consider how they're going to approach certain levels of terrain, like okay, um, I have this gun line that does it. That's not very mobile. Well, what if I have a ton of exterior terrain? Well, mm-hmm. then you're just then you do nothing. Like, um, so when you're when you're list building, you know, I'm not going to build a list of 18 uh, mech guns because if if there's enough obscuring terrain, it literally just invalidates my army. Um, yeah. So you need to build a more balanced list, uh, and it forces balanced lists across the board. 
of things that are mobile, things that can do X, things that can do Y, things that can do Z, um, because you need to be able to interact in the different phases of the game, and the train supports that. Uh, mm-hmm. because you can't just gunline and castle up anymore. And you also just can't go sit around and do nothing anymore. You need to be able to kind of do a little bit of everything, um, which I, I like balance in a game, and I like building balance lists. That's something that you know I believe uh, is a hallmark of a better player, um, is, the, is the ability to build a list that has the tools uh, to accomplish certain objectives um, across multiple games. I mean, this is a tactical game. Uh, if your tactic is sit in a corner and shoot, and you're not you're probably you know you're not probably not very good at this game <laughs> <laughs> wow a harsh condemnation of the entire tau faction there we don't, uh, we, don't we don't want one thing we're, we're trying to enforce more tactical and strategic play yeah uh, and, and that's, I, what, I think that's what this train does i think you're very much right there that this terrain forces players to um try more different approaches to the game and more different strategies at a given time so that you're not just like, I have one game plan, and if that doesn't work, then I lose, um, because there will be far too often that it doesn't work. There's too many things that can disrupt a game plan that you have to be ready for. Yeah. Um, I was going to throw out, are we about done? Yeah, I think we're we're kind of rolling up the, on the end here. Uh, we're we're kind of hitting the the end time for our episode. Did you have something you wanted to do as a uh, final thought wrap up here? Uh, it's not a final thought. It's more of uh, just be on the lookout at our Facebook page. I am going. I'm in the process of making flashcards for the terrain keywords. I'll just post oh, yes. that there. It's for everyone. Yeah. Um, by all means, print that out and use them to. Uh, Help solve terrain so you don't have to remember whether you said a, a given piece was scalable or whatever. You can just look at the card you put on it. Um, those sort of visual markers are very handy. I will also be posting a PDF that has all the terrain keywords and little boxes so you can go check, 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 check and put it next to there. Yeah. To help you remember as you're learning the rules. And Shaylin and I have also been playing and streaming some games in the evening. Um, usually it's, uh, fairly late Pacific time, uh, cause both of us are nighttime people. Uh, but, uh, we're, we're going to try and be getting as many games in of ninth as we can, uh, because both of us desperately need the experience and are trying out a variety of wacky lists. Uh, I, I broke out my Townar for the first time in ever. Um, I ran nothing but Terminators. Yes, nothing but Terminator models, which may not have won, but the fact that it was a legitimate consideration for a list is, um, Ninth Edition is different. I'm so happy. I like Terminator models. Yeah, um, there, there's a lot of weird, wild lists flying around out there. Uh, I've seen everything from 330 conscripts to 20-odd vehicles, to just about a million five-man units, just all sorts of weird, weird lists going around right now. And that is kind of the beauty of a new edition like this, is there's no defined plan of for what we know works and doesn't. Yeah, the lack of data is killing me, is all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, those of us in America are 
basically stuck in limbo for the foreseeable future as we get to watch the rest of the world play the game while we are unable to. Um, we're already seeing the first tournaments coming out of Europe and uh, some of the other places um, as they are getting games in because they handled this whole pandemic a lot better than we did. We, we screwed failed. up pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so... Sadly, for uh, those of us here in Freedom Land, our freedom has been to confine ourselves to our homes uh, because doing otherwise is pretty unsafe. Um, but at least we do have a global community with sort of global reporting on what they're doing over there. Um, as I'm sure Peter the Falcon and Val and all of them will continue giving us the lowdown on what all of the tournaments across the pond are going to be. So we're, we're just going to have to keep our eyes on that and see what they can do. Do you need, you, do either of you have anything you want to plug as, uh, good resources you've found for ninth edition that have been really useful for you, uh, in, in sort of picking up on the game recently? My, uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I'll just reference, um, and I'll give the shout-out, is that uh, as far as who, rules guides uh, that make sense and are easy to digest and have little drawings and such, um, Goonhammer's articles have been fantastic Yes, they are doing the Lord's work over at Goonhammer right now. Um, they have had just absolutely fantastic group of writers who are really able to break things down in a coherent way, uh, for lots of different factions while still maintaining a very high level of uh, play and quality of advice. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, Tabletop Tactics guys, I think I mentioned earlier, they've done a whole video uh, series on YouTube that is getting reposted elsewhere. I definitely recommend them as uh, they were some of the play testers, I believe, and, and had a lot of involvement in the game, so they, they know a lot about how this kind of stuff functions. Um, Art of War has also been doing some, some pretty good work on uh, the new edition, so I definitely recommend you check them out as well if you're looking for more content. Uh-huh. Uh, Taylin, did you have anything you want to add to this before we wrap the whole deal up? No, mostly that I'm going to put some free stuff out on the Facebook to help people learn just game aids. So. Game aids are real useful. I definitely suggest everyone take advantage of them. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap up today's uh, quick little episode. I know it's a little bit different format than the way we usually do things, but it's a new edition. We're all kind of diving into this one feet first, uh, and we're trying to bring you... As much as what we're learning as we can, because just like all of you, we're, we're really trying to learn this game as, as fast as we're able to, uh, with the lack of play resources that we all unfortunately have right now. Not a lot of tournaments for us. Um, but hopefully you all found this useful. Uh, if you did or if you have some questions, uh, we'd love it if you contact us on our Facebook page or through our email, which is in the finest hour at gmail.com. Um, and if you'd like a little bit more personal level of access to the host, see what kind of crazy lists we're cooking up or what sort of terribly dank memes we have to post, um, you can join our Patreon, which is also in the finest hour. Uh, for five bucks a month, it'll get you access to our Discord server where we talk about stuff as well as the private Facebook group if you want to post something in an offline fashion. Uh, and you get access to the occasional, uh, 
bonus episode that we do, usually a uh, tournament hot take or something of the like that uh, two or three of the hosts will record while we're on the fly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would like to say thank you to all of our patrons who supported us while we had uh, a little bit of a, a slowdown here. I know it's been tough for everyone, but we really do appreciate the support, uh, even when we were unable to post a lot of content for a while. They all stuck with us, and we really do like appreciate that a lot. Um, and I'd also like to say thank you to Dank Muse for providing the music for this and every episode. Uh, you can check him out on SoundCloud, YouTube, or Spotify. You stole my thunder. That's my line. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm too fast and, and super good at things. Well, I'm going to disrupt both of you with a psychic spell because Rylan Woodrow needs a shout out for doing the awesome art for our oh, man. podcast. Also, the Tide of Traders Facebook group. Tide of Traders. He's he's been on a tear with some great commissions. Uh, you, you check out the Tide of Traders. I believe one of the Goonhammer guys got a commission from him as well. Um, there's there's been a bunch of people. Uh, getting some real nice pieces. He is a fantastic 40K artist. If you are interested in a custom piece of any kind, uh, he has very reasonable rates and puts things out shockingly quickly. I cannot believe how fast he made that banner for you. Yeah, that took less than a week. Worth every penny. Ben, did you have anyone else you wanted to give a, a shout-out to aside from the, uh, the the stealing I did for you? Uh, well, it's usually my line, so I really don't have anything else to say. You stole the one thing I say at the end I'm of this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was force of habits. Sean, that was that was evil. <laughs> oh, no. We're switching places. We're switching bodies. <laughs> I'll take care of this. Because I always take care of this. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So for In the Finest Hour, I am, I guess I'm Ben Jurek now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm Sean Morgan. And I'm Shailen Allen West. Thanks for listening.